to the podcast called Christian Life Issues for Today. The host of this program is Wayne Mack. That's me. The program manager is Henrico Von Nieker. We would appreciate if you would give us some feedback concerning the program. If you have any uh, suggestions for us, anything that was not made clear, and let us know about that. Anything that was very helpful, uh, just feedback on that. Our email address is Christian Life Issues for Today at gmail.com. So drop us a line and let us know that you're out there listening and also you might comment if anything has been especially helpful to you. Now today we're beginning a, a new series of podcasts that will be taken from my book, Your Family God's Way. It's a book that was published by Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company and uh, It was written to help people to develop and sustain godly family relationship. So we'll be covering uh, important issues as far as the family is concerned, what God's Word has to say about how to develop and maintain godly family relationships. The subtitle of the book is Developing and Sustaining Relationships in the Home. The main title is Your Family, God's Way. The publisher is Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company. So, in a newspaper article some time ago, Marshall Auerbach, a lawyer from the state of Illinois, lamented the high rate of divorce in the United States of America. He wrote, over the past 30 years, I participated in the breakup of more marriages than I care to remember. I'm a divorce lawyer by profession. I wrote the divorce law for the state of Illinois, but I'm a romantic at heart, and so I suffer pangs of sympathy for both parties during the dissolution process. In fact, I make a strenuous effort to reconcile them before they take that final step. And I can tell you that it's becoming more difficult in the last 10 years. Since 1960, about 40 million people have been divorced. A marriage counselor that I know calls divorce the death of a dream. She's convinced that had Romeo and Juliet lived today in her Chicago suburb, it's likely they would have visited her office for help in preserving their marriage. How does she explain the magnitude of marital destruction that has allowed us to label the 1980s the age of divorce? The statistics are shocking. The nation is awash in divorce. Divorce is big business. By some estimates, a multi-billion dollar industry. According to the Wall Street Journal, there were 700 divorce lawyers practicing 70 years ago. Now there are 11,000. So it went from 700 divorce lawyers to 11,000 in 10 years. 
What's the condition of marriages today? In the last decade, marriages have been breaking up at the rate of nearly 1.2 million a year. Over time, that amounts to the dissolution of a high percentage of marriages and a lot of people going through divorce. Add to that the fact that many marriages remain legally intact, but they're plagued with problems. Many marriages, both Christian and non-Christian, that never end up in the divorce court are falling apart and are experiencing far short of God's design for marriage and family life as presented in the Bible. The truth is that no marriage, including mine and yours, fully approximates God's design. As I write this book, my wife and I have been married for 34 years. As I present this podcast, we've been married now for 63 years. We have four biological children and two daughters-in-law who are all professing Christians. By God's grace, we've enjoyed good marriage and family relationships. This side of heaven, however, there will always be room for improvement. I suggest that's true of our family, and it's also true of yours. Your family life can always be better. When we see pride, complacency, apathy, status quoism in our families, it indicates that they are deteriorating or they soon will be. When we think there's nothing more we can learn, that there's no more progress we can make, that's just not true. What we can learn is that there should be progress in our marriages. What this means is that building our families God's way should be a matter of great concern to us. All other ways are destined ultimately to fail, except God's way. After all, marriage and family is God's idea. He originated these relationships. He planned them to be among the greatest blessings a person could have. He created the first man and woman who became the first married people and first parents. He introduced them to each other. He gave them their premarital counseling. And then he performed the first wedding service. God, the originator of marriage, knows how a marriage and family should function. He fully understands the family's potential for delight or disaster. He is the ultimate marriage and family therapist. The book that I wrote is an attempt to explain God's principles for a better family. In these presentations that are taken from that book, we're making an attempt to explain God's principles for a better family. In these podcasts, you will find Bible truths about good family relationships. 
You'll find exercises for evaluating yourself and your family in the light of these truths. And you'll find practical guidelines for implementing the biblical principles. As I present these podcasts, I encourage you to anticipate God's blessing on you and your family as you consider from these podcasts how to build your family God's way. God's promise is that those who hear and obey the word of God will be blessed. That's Luke chapter 11, verse 28. So dig in and expect a blessing from God as you listen to these podcasts. As you listen to this material and contemplate what each of the podcasts presents to you, we pray that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will help you to be honest, open, and give you a desire to change and the power to actually make the changes that are necessary. Keep in mind that true prosperity and success in a biblical sense are promised to those who do what the Bible says. Joshua 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 8, and Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3, give us those particular truths. Don't forget that those who are united by faith to Jesus Christ are new creatures. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. And thus they have new power to put off unbiblical patterns and put on more biblical lifestyles. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 24, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. So if these podcasts taken from the book, Your Family, God's Way, should make you aware of areas or ways in which God wants you to change, be assured that for Christians, this is exciting. Be confident that God will help you as you trust in Him. You must work, but you must work in faith. Depend wholly on God to enable you to do what pleases Him. Be aware that what pleases God will ultimately please you. And God will be able to help you and be willing to help you. You can count on that. Now, in the first chapter, which will be our first podcast, we're dealing with the groundwork for God-honoring delightful family relationships. And the first chapter is entitled, First Things First, The Maximum Husband and Father. And the chapter begins this way. When most people looked at Greg, a pseudonym for this man who had come for counseling, They saw all the marks of success. 
He was well-dressed, intelligent, an articulate man with an attractive and accomplished wife and two gifted children. At 40 years of age, he was already very wealthy. Besides that, he was an outstanding leader in his church. Greg seemed to be the model of a successful man. Yet, here he was, sitting with his wife across from me in my counseling office. Ostensibly, they were there to seek counsel on how to deal with a troublesome relative. But it soon became evident that their real problem was with each other. Greg may have appeared to be a success in many areas of life, but in one vital dimension, he was not doing very well. He and his wife both agreed that he was seriously deficient as a husband and father. His wife was hurting badly and felt estranged from him. I admire him greatly, she acknowledged, but I don't feel that he really cares for me or respects me. He doesn't let me get close to him. I want us to share with each other, especially about spiritual matters, but it just doesn't happen. By Greg's own admission, their relationship was stagnating because of things he had done or failed to do. He confessed, my wife is a very godly, caring, cooperative person. The fault is primarily mine. Greg and his wife were not sharpening one another or stimulating one another to love and good works. As Proverbs 27, verse 17, and Hebrews 10, verse 24 say Christians should be doing for one another. In his relationship with his children, there was little, if any, emotional closeness. He was not deeply involved in bringing them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. By default, that had become primarily his wife's responsibility. His influence in their lives was minimal. In fact, as the children moved into their teenage years, the distance between them seemed to be very wide. Greg represents hundreds of men I know and thousands I've never met. Perhaps he misrepresents you. You may or may not be as successful as he is in the business world, but if you're like him in that you're a professing Christian who wants to be a better husband and father. In this podcast, I want to share with you God's perspective on the important factor of becoming a maximum husband and father. God sees this factor as the key to making a man's a powerful blessing in his family. It was this element that was missing in Greg's life. What is this key factor? Well, Psalm 128 verses 1 through 4 describes it for us. That passage says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, 
who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your labor, you will be happy and will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Here we have a picture of the various members of God's kind of family. Passage tells us what they're like, how they function, how they relate to one another, and what empowers and motivates them to be the family they are. In this podcast, we will consider what the psalm teaches about the husband and the father. And then in the following chapters, we'll focus on its description of the wife and mother and children. Now this psalm indicates that to be God's kind of husband and father, you must be a man who fears the Lord. You see that in verse 1 and verse 4. An appropriate fear of God will make you an unusual blessing to your wife and children. It will make you attractive in your family. You will become an effective husband and father. The fear of God will be the soil out of which your positive influence will grow. And the basic reason why you have a positive influence on your family. The basic reason that your family will arise and call you blessed is described here. I encourage you to meditate on what the Bible says will happen to you as a God-fearing man. God says that God-fearing people receive divine instruction concerning the choices they should make. That's described in Psalm 25 and verse 12. Second, the God-fearing people are prosperous in the most important way. That's described in Psalm 25, verse 13, Psalm 112, verse 3. Three, they experience God's goodness. That's Psalm 31, verse 19. Four, they're special objects of God's protection. That's Psalm 31, verse 20. Five, they have children to whom God shows compassion. That's Psalm 103, verses 11 through 18. And then, still further, a God-fearing person has children to whom God shows compassion. That's Psalm 103, verses 11 through 18. And they, God-fearing person, will have descendants who will be great on the earth in the most important ways. Psalm 112 and verse 2. And then still further, God-fearing person is one who is motivated to be gracious and generous. That's Psalm 112, verses 4 and 5. Still further, the Bible indicates that a God-fearing person will be confident 
and courageous. That's described in Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. And still further, God-fearing people will experience contentment. That's Psalm 112, verse 5, 6, and 9. And Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 23. Still further, God-fearing people will be praying people whose prayers will be heard. Psalm 145, verse 19. In addition to that, the Bible says that God-fearing people are blessed with wisdom. It's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Proverbs 9, verse 10. And then the Bible says that God-fearing people are teachable and peaceful. That's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, Proverbs 14, verse 26, Proverbs 15, verse 33. In addition to all of that, the Bible indicates that God-fearing people are characterized by integrity and faithfulness. That's Job chapter 2 and verse 3. And they are considered and kind. Psalm 112, verses 4 and 5. The fact that they fear God motivates them to be considerate and kind. And they are also noted for constructive speech. That's Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. And so further, the Bible indicates that God-fearing people are noted for constructive speech. That's Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Still further, God-fearing people are noted for being patient, hopeful, and genuine. That's Psalm 147, verse 11. Still further, the fact that they fear God motivates them to be patient, hopeful, and genuine. That's Psalm 147, verse 11. And God-fearing people, according to Psalm 112, and verse 3, and verse 5, and 2 Corinthians 7, and verse 1, will persevere in doing what's right. Still further, the Bible indicates in Psalm 128 and verse 3 that being a God-fearing person inspires you to work hard but not be so committed to your work that you don't have time for enjoyment. And then another of the characteristics of a God-fearing person is that that person accepts responsibility for his own family and is yet is not overly responsible. And that's found in Psalm 128, verse 3. Still further, according to the Bible, God-fearing people are devoted to their families and they find them to be a source of satisfaction. In fact, they enjoy their families. That's Psalm 128, verses 1 through 4. And then, God-fearing person delights in worshiping God. That's Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. And he loves the scripture and 
orders his life according to God's commands. He lives a godly life. He's motivated to that by the fact that he fears God properly. That's Psalm 112 and verse 1, and Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Now, you asked, how does all of this apply to my friend Greg and his family? Well, certainly, Greg needed specific instructions on the issues involved in husbanding and fathering. And in the course of counseling, we discussed such issues in great detail. But Greg needed more than that. He needed a healthy, wholesome fear of God in his life to motivate him in all of these areas. Well, what does it mean to be a God-fearing man? Unclear answers to this question will hinder you in building a better family God's way. Some people have a fear of God that is heavy, even oppressive. To them, the thought of God brings anxiety, dread, or terror. Their fear of God is debilitating. It's a curse rather than a blessing. They think God is out to get them, that God is petulant, vindictive, and hard to get along with. An example of this kind of fear is found in the history Jesus told about the three men who had been given talents. Two men actively invested their talents and produced an increase. The third man did nothing with his talent. When called upon to give an account, he explained that he was concerned because his master was a hard man, reaping when you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. And this man is afraid and as a result of that went away and hid his talent. That's Matthew 25, verses 24 and 25. Now this man's fear rendered him powerless to act. He thought of his master as a vindictive despot who delighted in putting people on the spot and wreaking vengeance on them. Such a defeatist attitude reflects the attitude of some people today. They live in fear of other people, of circumstances, fear of what may happen. They even view God in the way the man in our Lord's story in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 and 25, viewed his master. But the fear of Matthew chapter 25 and 25 is not the fear of God which is described in Psalm 128. The wrong kind of fear will impoverish you and your family. The other, the proper kind of fear, will enrich your life. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 25 tells us of a fear that causes people 
to be insecure, discontented, unforgiving, unloving, authoritarian, and spineless. But Psalm 128 describes a kind of fear that produces the opposite effect. This kind of fear is instructive and constructive rather than destructive. It draws a person toward God, not drives a person away from God. This kind of fear, the proper kind of fear, will stimulate responsible action, not idleness. It will cause a person to reach out, not pull in. It will help that person to serve others and diminish selfishness. It will demolish other kinds of fear, the kind of fear which inhibits confidence, joy, and fruitful living. Scripture asserts that if you're in union with Christ Jesus, you have no reason to be held captive to a fear that involves the dread of God. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of God through Christ's redemption, you have every reason to be terrified of God because you've never made peace with him. But if you've really trusted Christ alone for salvation and forgiveness of sins, confessing him as your Lord and Master, as Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 say, the Bible says that you have no cause to be in bondage. That God has given to you the spirit of sonship and the right to call him your father. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. The spirit of sonship of your loving and compassionate heavenly father because you know that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You're destined to share Christ's glory, Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Having been declared righteous through the death of Jesus Christ for you on the cross, that person is reconciled to God and has been declared righteous through the death of Jesus Christ. And he is saved from God's wrath through Christ and through Christ alone. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Because of this person who properly fears God, because of this person's relationship with Jesus, this person doesn't have to be distraught by the thought of God. In fact, this person can now have every reason to rejoice in God, to fear him in a positive sense, which means the reverence and highly respect him and regard him, the kind of fear that is described in Psalm 128. And that leads us to ask exactly 
what it means for us to fear God. Well, simply put, the fear of God is the inevitable response to a growing biblical understanding of and relationship with the true and living God who has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The essence of this kind of proper fear of God is vividly illustrated in the life of Moses in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. Prior to this passage, Moses had an experience that greatly enlarged his concept of God. The Lord had miraculously and powerfully delivered his people from certain destruction at the hands of the Egyptians. God had opened the waters of the Red Sea and allowed the relatively helpless and defenseless Israelites to pass to the other side in safety. He had dramatically thwarted the murderous intentions of the powerful Egyptians. God had clearly shown his might, power, and loving kindness to his people. As a result, Moses was gripped by the excellency of who God is. Moses had encountered God as one who is highly exalted, majestic in power, glorious in holiness, fearful or awesome in praises, unfailing in faithfulness, completely trustworthy, abundant in mercy, a God who is committed to his people, absolutely and eternally sovereign and unrivaled in excellence. So Moses' reflex reaction to this pervasive awareness was adoration, love, and obedience. Every area of his life was now being controlled by this big concept of a God. He experienced what Psalm 128 calls the fear of God. Now Abraham's life provides us with another powerful illustration of what it means to be a God-fearing man. The Bible calls Abraham God's friend. He undoubtedly had a close relationship with God. Moreover, Abraham had an exalted concept of God that influenced his personal and family life in very practical ways. His relationship with God was the most significant factor in his life. Abraham's life cannot be understood apart from his big concept of God. On occasion, the Bible indicates that concept receded, but the overall picture is that of a man whose fear of God was preeminent, pervasive, and powerful because those who fear God in that way have a preeminent, pervasive, and powerful reverence for God. A man whose fear of God is preeminent, pervasive, and powerful, it does so because he 
reverences God. Abraham was willing to leave his homeland and move to an entirely new area because he feared God. He was a magnanimous man, willing to give the best land to his nephew Lot. Because he feared God, he was content with what he had, unwilling to take advantage of others, concerned about justice, the rights of others, and willing to risk his own life and expend time, effort, and finances for the sake of his family. He chose to put God's will before everything else, including his own feelings and desires. Abraham's big concept of God made him the godly man that he was. And so a healthy, wholesome fear of God will do the same for anyone. And that person will have an all-encompassing sense of the presence of God, of God's unrivaled majesty, of the abundant mercy and grace of God, the faithfulness of God, and that person's dependence on and responsibility to God. That person's relationship with God and the priority of that relationship will manifest itself in the way that he lives and the way he relates to other people, the way he oversees his family. The supreme perfection of God will redirect every aspect of life. It will call forth a loving and undeserved and unreserved way of committing himself to God. It will bring forth an unreserved commitment to that great God. A proper fear of God will propel the person to structure his life and order his affairs and relationships and make decisions according to God's will rather than simply his own will or the will of someone else. That person will be a man who walks with God in close fellowship. His life will revolve around God so that he can say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ. That person who properly fears God will be stimulated and empowered to relate to his wife and family in a God-ordained way. It will become the blessed happy man of Psalm 128. A man who in turn becomes a blessing to his wife and children. Building a family God's way will not remain the impossible dream. It will become a reality.